Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We are going to jump into part three of our message series in, in Jonah, Jonah chapter three, as we've met this prophet, a reluctant prophet, I suppose, called by God to go to this great city of Nineveh, declare this message of, of, you know, warning of God's coming judgment. Then he runs in the other direction, gets on a boat, goes as far away as he can, but God gets a hold of him through a storm and everything else and comes back. And uh, he has this sort of reckoning with God and says, okay, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to recalibrate my life. I'm going to do what God asks me to do. And so that brings us to chapter 3. So today we're calling this Second Chances. Jonah chapter 3, Second Chances. And I'll read this to you. Jonah 3 begins this way. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap. And sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king, and it just, so just imagine that, that the sovereign leader of the greatest empire of the world takes off all the royalty, all the glamour of his position, and takes, puts on the, you know, clothing symbolic of utter humility and repentance. It's a dramatic, you know, visual for us. Um, and he wrote a decree saying this, not, verse 7, No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we began by this series by noting what a dreadful place Nineveh was as the capital city of the great empire of Assyria. They were legendary for their wickedness and their cruelty and their violence. This is a terrible uh, group of people. Uh, the, the Assyrian um, empire was an absolute war machine. It just would roll through and, and just dominate and destroy, and just crush kingdoms uh, as it went. And the, the way they, you know, did this so unstoppable as they conquered a, a nation they would they would exile those people to other places and bring people from other ethnic groups into the nation so they conquered the northern kingdom of israel you've heard me talk about the northern kingdom of israel and the southern kingdom of judah all you know israel as they conquered them 722 bc they took a whole bunch of 
Jews from those northern ten tribes and brought in people from other places and and Israel would never rise again until the miracle of 1948. It's a very strategic uh, tactic to bring in massive amounts of people from other nations because you erode and you undermine and you eliminate any sense of national identity in, 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 in those, you know, who are, who are concerned about, you know, how that happens is you bring enough people in that are different and don't see things the same way and that nation can never sort of coalesce and stand up against, you know, cruel, uh, oppression. And so that's kind of a very deliberate tactic. Um, and so Jonah was a prophetic preacher in his own nation already at this point, And yet now God says, I want you to go to this distant land, these enemies of yours, to Nineveh. And as, as we saw, we've seen so far, Jonah obviously did not want to go. He did not want to take this assignment. And I can't blame him. Nobody would. None of us would. None of us would. I was trying to think of a, trying to think of an, of a parallel, uh, today. And, and I was just like, well, that'd be like asking me to go to, like, New York City or something. And like, I, I, I couldn't, I can't, I can't think of a good parallel, but like, like, Lord, I'll go anywhere else, but don't make me go to that place where they don't really want to hear what I have to say. You know, you know, like that's kind of the, kind of the, the, the thing that's happening there, but thanks to that storm and the fish and the, you know, the three day private retreat in the belly of that fish, Jonah has a change of heart and says, Lord, I will go. And so that's what happens. Now keep in mind, this is still a big venture for, for Jonah. We've got a map here on the screen. Just to give you a bit of um, global perspective, do we have a map on the screen? Um, there it is. Uh, so, you know, Israel is there, Nineveh up and to the right. That's a long way. Jonah didn't just like tumble out of the fish and boom, walk into Nineveh. That's kind of how I thought of it as a kid. He just got up and he walked in. No, we're talking weeks, maybe months of of time elapsing from his time in the fish to actually entering Nineveh. And we'll come back to, to later why that's so significant. And, and we're going to learn next week, we're going to learn about Jonah's bad attitude in this whole process. Um, he, he, he's, he's not a stellar example of how to get this done. He really isn't. Uh, but let's be glad that he went to warn the Ninevites of God's pending judgment. Now here I want to talk about these people of Nineveh and, and us. There are two kinds of sinners in this world. And all of us have been both at some point in our lives. There's rebellious sinners and there's repentant sinners. And you could add a third category, I suppose, of an ignorant sinner. The person who doesn't know that what they're doing is wrong. It's just it's what they've always done. They just don't know better. So let me requalify my statement. Once someone's been made aware of their sin, there's two kinds of sinners. The rebellious sinner and the repentant sinner. Rebellious or repentant. The repentant sinner says, wow, I, I've been wrong. I, I've, I, I'm not listening to God and I'm sorry for that. And I turn away from that sin and that behavior and I cast myself on God's mercy. That's good. That's the repentant Sinner. The rebellious sinner says, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't have to listen to you. Who are you to judge me? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. That, 
that person is actually proud of their sin. They're very proud about it. And that's the rebellious sinner. And again, all of us have been in, certainly all of us at some point have been in the rebellious camp. And hopefully you've moved through the repentant camp. But we have times where we go back and forth. Lord, I know you're talking to me about that, but I don't want to listen to you right now. All right? Who of us has not been there? If you haven't, if you can't admit having been there, uh, you, now you gotta repent of lying. Like, seriously. Like, we have all been there in those, both those places. But here's the thing. There's only one of those sinners that God can rescue, that God can redeem. And that's the repentant sinner. God's not gonna save anyone against their own will. God's not going to force you into heaven. If you don't, if you're not interested in God now, if you're not interested in salvation now and knowing Jesus and if the idea of, of eternity with God is not interesting to you, you God's not going to play a joke on you and say, ha ha, I brought you here anyway. He says, look, I'm not forcing myself into your life. So I'm giving you that opportunity. And so God welcomes every person to trust in him, but the repentant sinner, only the repentant sinner will find that redemption and new life in Christ by by, by yielding their life to him. And so the moment you're made aware of your sin, you become responsible for this decision. Will I rebel or will I repent? You, it's your decision. Do I stay in rebellion or do I move into repentance? And so Jonah's, you know, journey into Nineveh demonstrated that simple truth very powerfully. And, and yet while Jonah didn't really want to be there, he learned this powerful truth. And if you're taking notes today, Let's let's put this one in, and Morgan, leave this one up for a little bit because it's it's a little bit longer here, and I just want to emphasize this: God's grace is for you and your enemy and everyone else in the process. God's grace is for you. That's kind of easy, pretty easy to accept. And for your enemy, that person who you look at and say that group of people, that whatever set of people you look at and say. I don't know. I don't think God has going to have grace for them. God only has judgment for that group. I'm telling you, God's grace is for everyone, regardless of who they are, what they're doing, where they've been, right? So God's grace is for you and for your enemy. Here's the thing about Jonah, and you're really going to see this in the next chapter. Jonah went to emphasize the judgment of God. That's what he hoped they would hear. God's going to judge you. God's going to destroy Nineveh. In 40 days. And yet. What they heard. Is that God is merciful. Isn't this remarkable? What he wanted them to hear was judgment. What they actually heard was mercy. That's how the Holy Spirit works. That's God's work in someone's life. And. But here's the thing. There's no need for mercy. If there's no judgment. Right? If there's no judgment, why, why would you need mercy? It's not all mercy and it's not all judgment. Judgment makes mercy possible, necessary even. Mercy matters. Judgment's real. Judgment does come. And you think about it. You, you, you think, well, how is it, how is it gracious of God to proclaim judgment and scare everybody? Say, oh, but if you, you know, if you don't repent, you're going to get destroyed. Isn't that kind of like a fear tactic of God? Isn't it God like, kind of manipulating them, kind of, you know, blackmailing them into repentance. But but listen, think about it this way. That date of judgment was not a set date on the calendar. 
How much time had elapsed from Jonah's first warning to when he actually declares the message? More than 40 days, for sure. That warning was triggered by Jonah's obedience. This is a, this is a remarkable thing that there are things that God's going to accomplish, but he's waiting for us to step into it before it can begin the process. How does that happen? That's the mercy of God. That's the kindness of God to say, Jonah, in this case, Jonah, you're a part of this, but I'm not going to enact it. I'm not going to flip the switch till you obey and you go. God is being extra merciful to the people of Nineveh because he's waiting to start, start the clock until Jonah actually goes. It's a delay of mercy. It's a merciful delay, I should say. And with some exceptions, now it's easy to believe that, that God will be merciful. I mean, I think about, well, of course God's going to be merciful to me. I'm a pretty good guy. Remember I told you when I wrote my book, I'm going to be amazing in that when I write my autobiography. And, and you know, most of us think, well, I, I don't deserve judgment. I'm not that bad. I'm, you know, I'm generally okay, right? And then we flip it around and we, but we say, well, but that group over there or that person over there, uh, they got it coming. They've earned judgment. <laughs> I mean, I know better and they should too, but this too late for them. They, they deserve, uh, judgment. Uh, wow. It, it's, it's easy for us to do. And that's kind of where Jonah was at. Like, you think about that coworker or that neighbor, you know, the, the neighbor with the barking, incessantly barking dog. You think, there's no mercy for that person. There is. There is. Like, God's gracious to everybody, uh, in, in amazingly and unexpectedly, the Ninevites, from the least to the greatest, including the king. And you, I just love this image of everybody wearing burlap, wearing clothes of mourning, including the animals. Can you just see the goats and the chickens with little burlap sacks over them? I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what that actually means. Even the animals were dressed in clothes of mourning. What, what would that actually be? But, 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 you know, here we have, have this happening and, and they did respond to the message. They were at the very least remorseful. And they enter this period of fasting and, and they're all in this humble position before God. It's a, it's a remarkable moment of response. You think about, you know, this is a hard thing to imagine if you think about a, I remember that big thing last summer in Seattle where they had that autonomous zone that just was total anarchy. And imagine, imagine that a pastor goes in and begins to preach warning. Hey, you know, judgment's coming unless you repent. And imagine that everybody in that chop zone would say, hey, we've been wrong. We want to get humbled before God. We, we just, we can't even imagine that happening. And, and it's a sort of dramatic shift, change that happens. And the takeaway, I think, is this, that God's grace is offered to everyone Right? Poor people, rich people, powerful people, powerless people, people who live in a house, people who live on the street, educated, uneducated, brown people, white people, Democrats, Republicans, you and me, whatever we're at, God's grace extends, even to that person that you have a hard time with. But here's the thing. God's grace is fully extended, but it has to be received. God's grace is fully extended, but it has to be kind of welcomed. 
And, and that's the humbling part. That's the place of humility, getting on my knees before God, saying, God, I've, I've blown it. I've messed up. I, I need your grace and your mercy in my life. Which leads to another challenge, and the Apostle Paul touches on this in Romans chapter 10. Let's put this one up there as well. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 13, says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quote from the Old Testament. That's a rock-solid truth in the Bible. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Great. But, then Paul says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Whoa. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Listen, there is no message without a messenger. You can write that one down too. There's no message without a messenger. And I know it's super obvious. There's no message without a messenger. A couple of years ago, when Becky, my wife and I were dating, it feels like a couple of years, okay? 29 years next months that we've been married. But when we were dating, we spent a couple summers apart from each other. The first summer, she was a camp counselor. Next summer, I was overseas on a ministry internship. And um, this is before FaceTime, any messaging apps, no Telegram, Signal, Facebook Messenger, not even email, Right? Long distance calling was prohibitively expensive and had to be in certain times, you know, and we're, we're in different time zones, all that. So what did we do? How did we stay in contact? We wrote letters. Some of you remember that. On paper with a pen, you write out the words. No emojis. Although she's pretty good at emojis. She'd be like smiley faces and hearts and stuff in there. Fold that thing up, put it in an envelope, slap a stamp on there, and you hand it over to the postal service, that agency everybody loves to hate, and you trusted them to get that message to your loved one. We wrote a lot of messages to each other. But if there had been no postal service, there would have been no message. You might not even have us today. Right? And I share that to remind us that that we all have the very best news available to humans. Everybody needs to hear God's love and grace and mercy. But without a messenger, there's no message. As the Apostle Paul says, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Is the Lord sending you with a message? Is God placing something on your heart as a message. It might be across the hall. It might be across the street. It might be across the world. But you may being sent out. You're being sent out with a, with a message. It might be in the form of a sermon or a supper. Or some act of kindness or some blessing of encouragement. 
but you're being sent by the Lord. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus said to to his followers, I'm sending you out. I want you to go to all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach everything that I've taught you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. It's the promise of Jesus. But he sent us out as his followers with the message, the message that we are only made right by our faith in Christ. That God is merciful and wants to save us, but judgment will come if we don't listen, if we reject reject his message. Jonah didn't want to go. And when he did go, he had a bad attitude about it. But it was the right message and the people responded. That's the miraculous thing we said. What we say and how we say it sometimes doesn't match. And yet, when God's at work, people hear what they need to hear because God's working. I wonder what the mission is that God has for you. What's, what are you being sent out to do? Because we always, when it's hard, we want someone else to handle it. We want someone else to do it. I've put in my time. I've paid my dues. God, let someone else do this. It's too hard. But if there's something that God's placing on your heart to do, you'd better do it. You'd better go. You'd better speak. Give, serve, whatever it is. And it might be an easy word of encouragement. might be an urgent word of warning. might be near or far. Whatever it is, right? It's from the Lord. It's His good news. And if there's no messenger, there's no message. All right, let's go back to Nineveh to finish up. Jonah went. Jonah spoke. People heard. They responded. Verses 5 and 6, right? We saw that. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah said, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Those are all kind of tradition, traditional demonstrations of repentance and humility. Judgment is withheld. The New Living Translation uses the, 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 the term, uh, God, God changed his mind. That's the phrase. I don't think it's really quite the best translation there. A better way to say it, just that God relented. Quite literally, the text just says, um, he did not bring destruction, is how it's it literally said. Uh, listen, the will of God is to save. It's always the will of God to save. And to not destroy. So it was in God's will all along to rescue, to show mercy. But their wickedness had left God no choice but to bring judgment. And so I I think you could say, I think it's fair to say that God can change his mind. But God will never change his will and he will never change his purpose. So he he may change his plan, I suppose you could say. But God doesn't change his will. Doesn't change his purpose. Right? It It is in God's heart and in God's will and desire to that everyone would be would be saved would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved and so we, we're, we've got this response from the Ninevites and we what we you know I don't, I don't think it was a lasting response the indication is not that it was it was lasting they did respond and and I say that because you know one more thing Repentance means a change of ways. Repentance means there's a change of ways. You see, the Ninevites, they demonstrated remorse, right? They, they were, they were kind of shocked into re- re- responding to God. And yet within a couple of generations, God actually did destroy Nineveh. Not too long after they actually destroyed Israel, 
Nineveh and Assyria itself was destroyed. Repentance means a change of ways. See, words of repentance are easy. It's it's not too hard to say I'm sorry, but the proof is always in the action, right? Actions always speak louder than our than our words. Saying sorry, uh, did I say that right? Sorry, 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 sorry. Where I grew up, we say it a little different. So um, that's easy, but making things right with people—that's kind of hard. It's humbling. It's 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 really exposes our our heart. It might be costly. It might be lonely. It might mean you kind of leave behind a group of friends that always get you doing the wrong thing. And you've got to say, you guys, I I can't even hang out with you anymore. I've got to go over here. And that's hard. It's expensive emotionally, right? It takes bravery. And yet repentance means a turning, a change of ways, a transformation. And without repentance, the response is nothing but good intentions. And good intentions don't accomplish anything lasting. I think about as an example, if you've had a loved one who's struggled with addiction, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They said, this time it's for real. I'm really changing. I'm not doing that anymore. It's different now. I've really changed. And and you think, okay, and you want to give them a chance. And maybe there's a change for a little period of time. And then before you know it, they're just back to their old ways. And you're frustrated. You think, okay, I, I know you're remorseful, but are you repentant? And there's a difference. There's really a difference in that, remorse does not equal repentance. Now, on the contrary, sometimes in our zeal to, to see that happen, we try to, we might jumpstart a little bit by kind of minimizing their wrongdoing, minimizing sin, sort of overlooking it, saying, well, it's really not that bad, and you're not really hurting anybody, and I, you know, I guess it's okay, and so we kind of change the standards so that that person doesn't have to change. We just kind of, kind of make, make, make the, the entrance just wider. We just like, oh, well, I, I guess it's all right. And yet, God doesn't change his standards to accommodate our feelings. God sets the bar and we don't, we don't get to do that. Now, here's the, maybe one piece that gives you a little bit of relief. If you're the messenger, if you're the person that God's place in your heart that, hey, I need to share truth with this friend, this coworker, this family member, and you're, you're able to do so in absolute compassion and love and kindness and in the right moment and in a good context of relationship and all those pieces are there, you're actually not responsible for their response, their reaction. Your job is to deliver the message, but you cannot control how someone else responds to that. That's not up to you. The results are between the hearer and the Lord God. Listen, maybe you just needed to hear today that um, God is the God of second chances and he's inviting you. He's welcoming you to trust in him, to return to him, to put your faith in him in a fresh way. Maybe you feel like you have used up every second chance there is. And yet, God's saying, you're still alive, you're still breathing, which means you still have the opportunity to respond and to come to Him. You need to know that God loves you and He's waiting for you. Or perhaps there's a message that God's placed 
on you. That's kind of burdened you with someone you need to make something right with. Uh, extend forgiveness. Share the gospel with. Uh, show kindness to. Serve in some way. And yet you've avoided it. And what you're hearing today, like Jonah, is like, I need to get back and walk to my Nineveh. I need to go back to my Nineveh. And today you're asking God for the courage to follow through and be the messenger that God's called you to be. Either way, God's mercy can be trusted. God's mercy can be trusted. He's the God of second chance. I'm going to invite Christy and the worship team to, to lead us in a great song of surrender. Songs called I Surrender All. And this has always been a, you know, a powerful song to say, God, I'm, I'm re-upping on my commitment to you. I'm humbly coming before you afresh. Saying, God, I'm, this is not a surrender with a hands up, gun on your back. This is the surrender of a yielding. God, I, I willingly lay my life down before you and invite you to take my abilities or lack of them whatever it is and I want to be obedient I want to respond to you as you call me to respond to you God I'm I'm not going to fight I'm not going to run like Jonah I would rather be repentant like like you call me to remorse and leads to repentance if done right or to say God I'm, I'm going to be faithful to go where you've called me to go I invite you to stand. We're going to sing this song. I want to pray for you. God, I thank you that uh, we've got this amazing example from Jonah. Even though he didn't have the best attitude about it, he was responsive to you. And God, we just want to be the kind of people that are willing to say, God, I surrender all my preferences, my, my, my ideas of the best way to do things. I just want to lay it before you. And I trust you to speak to me in your wisdom about how to be an agent of your mercy, an agent of your grace, an agent of your kindness, an agent of your goodness to the people around me. So that, Lord, through me, you can accomplish great things in my community, school, work, neighborhood, home, whatever it is. Lord, we want to be those kind of people. We thank you for your great, great love for us and your mercy that's available to every person who would respond to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. For listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.